Hi, this is Kale Clark. Welcome to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio mobile app. I'm so glad that you're with me today for this journey of exploring, understanding, explaining, and defending our Catholic faith. I thought I'd do a little bit of a mini-series on the book of Jonah for you because everybody knows about Jonah. It's one of the most famous books of the Bible. Even if people haven't read it yet, they certainly know the story of Jonah and the whale, Jonah and the great fish, the sea monster that swallows him up and spits him out back on dry land. You hear about this in Sunday school growing up, or maybe you had a children's Bible when you were a kid. It's definitely one of the most recognizable tales in the entire Bible. But even within the book of Jonah, Jonah being swallowed by a fish, that's not the point of it at all. That's not the point of the book. And people get hung up on that. But there's so much more to it. Even though, even though Jonah is is just a really, really short book, there's believe it or not, there are only forty eight verses in the entire book of Jonah, and he, Jonah is considered one of the minor prophets. But there's certainly nothing minor about the message of the book. It is major league, and so many people have written on it. So many people have talked about it uh, throughout the centuries. I thought we should probably do that as well. Now, Jonah is the only prophet that God ever sent outside of Israel to another group of people, to Nineveh. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible, of all the prophets. So there's there's something in there for us, too. I mean, this is really a sign of the future Catholicity or universality of the church. It's also a bit of a satire in a certain sense. It's it's there's a there's definitely some comedic elements to Jonah, the fact that Jonah is completely disobedient to what God wants, the reluctant prophet. He fails in everything that God asks him to do. God tells him to go one way, to go to Nineveh, go to the east, and he says, "No, I'm not going to do it." He goes the other way. He goes in the total opposite direction. He goes west. God says, "I want you to preach to these people." Jonah says, "I think I'm going to take a nap." In the bottom of the boat. And so God wants to forgive the, these rotten sinners in Nineveh. He wants them to repent. He wants them to change their ways. And, and Jonah just wants God to drop the hammer on them. And he's upset about God's offer of repentance to them. So it's a fascinating book. So let, let's dive in. Let's look at chapter one, and then we'll talk about some of the themes in the book together. So once again, turn to Jonah in the Old Testament in your Bible, Jonah chapter 1. Let's read it together, starting with chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried to his God, and they threw the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call upon your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us, so that we do not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. 
So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation, and from where do you come? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Take me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed so hard to bring the ship back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried to the Lord, We beg you, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they took up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So that's Jonah chapter 1, and you're listening to The Faith Explained on Relevant Radio. I'm Kale Clark. All right, so let's talk about some of the background of the book of Jonah. Who wrote it? Well, it seems to be ascribed, of course, to the prophet Jonah, and he's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we read about Jonah, son of Amittai, which is exactly how he's described here in chapter 1 of Jonah. Living during the reign and being a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II, from 782 to 753 BC, that's when he reigned. And so that's the time period that Jonah is situated in. Now, it's hard to say whether Jonah himself wrote the book or whether uh, it was written down sometime after him uh, based on his own teachings and his own experiences. There's no kind of uh, date and time stamp on the book. A lot of scholars think that it was written very close to the time of the events in the 8th century BC, and some people think it was written much later, maybe after the time of the exile. But we're not sure 100%. Uh, on that. But I want to tell you about the city of Nineveh that Jonah was called to preach to, and God wanted them to repent. So I I just want to warn you ahead of time, uh, if you have any little ones nearby, you might want to just cover their ears for the next 30 or 40 seconds or so. And if you yourself are are disturbed by uh, uh, descriptions of violence, uh, please cover your ears too, because The Ninevites were exceedingly wicked. And let me tell you a little bit about what the historical record says about them. Now, Nineveh, by the way, is located in modern-day Iraq. So it would have been the key city in the Assyrian Empire. And so when when it was at its most prosperous, uh, they had a wall surrounding the city. And many ancient cities had walls like this uh, for defense purposes. It was almost eight miles long. This was an enormous city. For the time, they were really limitless in their cruelty uh, when battling against their enemies. They would murder, 
they would commit rapes. Babies were ripped from their mother's wombs. Uh, the children of their enemies, their heads were crushed against the rocks. They would skin their victims and impale them, uh, leaving them to die exposed to the elements. Uh, they would often force uh, their enemies' children to be burned in front of the parents before killing the parents. Uh, they would bury people up to the to their necks in the sand and just allow birds of carrion to pick at them and wild animals, or maybe even just plain old hunger and thirst to kill them. In fact, some cities, when they were about to be besieged by the Ninevites, they would commit mass suicide rather than endure uh, the horrors that they knew were coming if they were to fall into their hands. So that, that's just a picture of how evil they really were and how cruel. And so you can kind of see why Jonah is questioning, God, why in the world are you giving these people a chance to repent? Why don't you just crush them? They surely deserve it. So th this is one of the big themes of the book of Jonah, the mercy and the undeserved grace that God offers people. And we see this, of course, this grace being offered to not only the people of Nineveh, but also the, the pagans that were with Jonah in the boat. God extends uh, his sal salvation, in a sense, to them, and even to Jonah. Because don't forget, Jonah needs to repent too, because Jonah is not doing the will of God. He, he is disobeying God. He's going completely in the other direction. When God calls him to go to Nineveh and preach to them, he takes off and goes to Tarshish, you say, oh, sheesh, he's going to Tarshish. It's a really uh, tough thing to say. It's a bit of a tongue twister. But Tarshish is probably in modern-day Spain, uh, just past the Strait of Gibraltar. It's somewhere in the Mediterranean. Uh, we think it's probably in modern-day Spain. So this is, this is really, really far away from modern-day Iraq, where Nineveh was. He was going so far in the opposite direction, as far away as he could possibly get from where he was supposed to go. But, of course... God knows where we are at all times. We cannot outrun uh, him and his plan for us. And so Jonah also needed to get online with what God wanted for him, as well as what God wanted for the Ninevites. Another thing we can say here is that very often it's embarrassing for the people of God in all times and all places when people that do not know God show more Christ-like attitudes than Christians do. We see that the people on the boat, uh, the captain of the boat, we see this in chapter 1. What we're going to see later, even the king of Nineveh is more concerned about people than Jonah himself is. And, and, and we, we sometimes must recognize that this is the case for us too. We're not living up to the code of conduct that God expects of us. Another theme in the book is God's complete mastery over human affairs. Uh, yes, we have free will, but God is also sovereign. And those two things seem to be in tension, but, but they're really not. God is really behind this storm uh, that engulfs the boat that we saw in chapter 1 here. Even as they cast lots, the sailors, to try to figure out in chapter 1, verse 7, hey, what's going on here? Who's behind? Who, who on this boat is behind what's going on here? They cast lots. And that's kind of interesting to me because in the Acts of the Apostles, they also cast lots to figure out who's going to replace Judas as the 12th apostle. So God is behind this seemingly random game of chance. 
God sends the great sea monster to swallow up Jonah and keep him alive after he's thrown into the water. We're going to see later in chapter 4 this miraculous plant that God sends, a worm as well, and also wind. All of this is going to be sent by God. All of this is part of his providential plan here. And so this is one of the main things we have to, we have to understand, that God's will is going to be accomplished in the world. Uh, it's not always accomplished in, in each individual life, unfortunately, because that this is sin, right? Sin is turning away from the will of God. But God is sovereign over human history, and he will bring it uh, to its conclusion. As we dive into Jonah, it's important to understand that, again, the story of Jonah and the whale, you hear it a lot in Sunday school, it seems like a simplistic story. But there's been a mountain of writings about this book throughout the centuries. So many scholars have delved into it. And there are actually a lot of different layers of meaning. We can really pull back the onion here. It, it's, it's a work of great artistry. And so much of what's in the book uh, speaks to the human condition. And so you have to understand that it's really broken into two main sections. Chapter 1 and 2, Jonah is given this command, this, this directive by God to go and preach to the people of Nineveh, and he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't obey it. And then in chapter 3 and 4, God gives the same command again, and this time Jonah does carry it out, uh, as reluctant as he may be. So there's a lot of parallel between chapter 1 and 2 and chapter 3 and 4. And so let me, let me just talk real quick about the, the historicity of, of the fish, this idea of Jonah being swallowed by the fish. We'll, we'll talk more about it later. But a lot of people get so hung up on this point, and they want to say, is Jonah supposed to be read as wisdom literature, as more of a parable, as more of a fable, or is this a historical incident? Was there a historical guy named Jonah, and was he really swallowed by a fish? Well, if let, let's just say for argument's sake that it is a parable. It's purely wisdom literature. Jesus still refers to this in the New Testament. He talks about uh, no sign will be given this generation except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He says in Matthew's Gospel, he also says something much greater than Jonah is here, and he's speaking of himself. So regardless, at the, end, at the end of the day, whether it's meant to be a wisdom literature type par, a parable or whether it's actual history, Jesus, it's, the message of it is something that Jesus wholeheartedly endorses and believes in. And so, uh, even, but, but here's the thing. If you're going to be a Catholic Christian, you have to believe in things that are far more implausible to, to a lot of people than the idea of a large fish uh, swallowing up a person and living in the belly of the fish for, for three days. You, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You must believe in all of the miracles of Christ. You must believe that God created the universe ex nihilo, out of nothing. So you've got to believe a lot more miraculous things than this. So it shouldn't be that difficult for you to believe in this, this idea of... Uh, somebody living in the belly of a large sea monster. But here's the thing. If this was intended to be taken as a fictional account, the author didn't really do a great job of that. <laughs> because usually in, in fictitious accounts like this, the author's going to want to spice it up. He's going to want to spice up the supernatural elements of it. 
he might say something like, well, there was an angel, maybe Jonah's guardian angel was in the belly with him, kept him from being digested, whatever. There's none of that stuff. This whole fish incident only takes up a couple of verses in the entire book. It's not something that we're meant to be fixating on and focusing on as we read the book of the prophet Jonah. So don't allow yourself to be taken off course by all that stuff. So it's presented very matter-of-fact, as if you would be presenting a historical narrative. But again, let's get back to the main message of the book. So just by way of overview here, again, this is the only prophet, the prophet Jonah, who is sent to non-Israelites. This foreshadows the Catholic gospel. The word Catholic means universal. It's for all peoples and all places and all times for everybody. And so that's a foreshadowing of that. How does Jonah relate to people who are different than he is? They're religiously different. uh, They're of a different uh, ethnic background. And so it's really a lot about God's love for all people and how he wants everyone to come to the knowledge of the truth. As the New Testament tells us, God wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So toxic racism uh, is absolutely out of bounds. Uh, We can't be believers and maintain those attitudes. And Jonah shows us how to overcome uh, those evils. So a lot of it is about trying to, to learn how to be a bridge builder. And this is really what Jonah is, ultimately, between God and the people of Nineveh that really don't know him. We've got to do this, too, in our own life. We've got to be a pontifex. And that's, of course, one of the great titles of the Pope, pontifex. And that word pontifex means bridge builder. We've got to build this bridge between man and God. And that bridge has already been built for us. It's called the cross. And so we've got to get people to encounter the cross and use that cross to get to God. That's what we need. And so we've got to understand that the main teaching of the book of Jonah, it's about God. It's about what God wants. And as one writer, Tim Keller, says, Jonah really wanted a God of his own making. Jonah wanted, Jonah thought God thought as he did. Jonah wanted the Ninevites to be destroyed, to be crushed, to be zapped with a bolt of lightning because of their evil. They deserve it. Surely they deserve it. But when the true God, when the true and living God, not the caricature that Jonah has in his mind, when when the true, real, and living God shows up, Jonah is very angry when he finds out what the real God really wants because it's not what he would do if he was God. (laughs) That's That's a great lesson for us, that God is a God of justice, but he's also a God of mercy. How do you reconcile those two things? Again, really at the end of the day, they can only be reconciled by the cross. How is it that God can be merciful and forgiving towards people who have done some terrible things in their past? How can God express his mercy, but also not erase his justice, which is also part of his character? Now, we don't necessarily get the full answer to that in this book of Jonah, And as Keller says, it's almost like if you're reading, if you look at Scripture as a great novel, this is one of the chapters in the novel. It's one of the chapters in God's wider story of salvation history. And when we're talking about real history here, how God acts in history to save his people, this is one chapter in that great tale. 
but it does move the conversation forward. It does move the story forward. So we get an insight into how God is going to save the world through Jesus Christ. And again, in Jesus Christ, uh, in his teaching, he says that he is like Jonah. Jonah is a type of Christ. One greater than Jonah is here. The sign of Jonah will be given to this generation. And what is that sign? The death, just as Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, Jesus is going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, but he will rise again. That's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 41. And so only in light of the gospel does the book of Jonah make complete sense. So one of, one of the, the great things about Jonah, too, is that it really does parallel with the teaching of the gospel. And many who have studied Jonah and really looked at it through the centuries keep coming back to the parable of the prodigal son in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, uh, there are these great parables that Jesus tells. He talks about the parable of the lost sheep. He talks about the parable of the lost coin and also the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. Now, why is he telling all these parables? Well, it's because people are upset that Jesus is receiving sinners, eating with them. He wants them to be drawn back to God. The Pharisees and the scribes are really ticked off about this. They want God to drop the hammer on these sinners, kind of like uh, Jonah wants God to drop the hammer on the Ninevites. And so let me just talk about the parable of the prodigal and his brother, because this has a lot to do with the book of Jonah. And Jesus says, and this is in uh, Luke 15, starting with verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed swine. I'm talking about non-kosher. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and make merry. For this son, for this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Behold, 
These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me even a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So, so many interpreters of the book of Jonah have seen a parallel between Jonah and what I just read to you in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells. Because in the first half of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 1 and 2, Jonah is very much like that prodigal son. He runs away from the father. He runs away from the will of God. He tries to get as far away as possible. When the prodigal son takes the inheritance while his father is still living, it's kind of like saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because you're not supposed to get this until your father dies. And so... It was a real slap in the face. And this is exactly what Jonah does. Now, in the second half of the book of Jonah, in Jonah chapter 3 and 4, Jonah becomes much like the elder brother in the parable, who, yes, he is faithful to uh, the father. He's, he's at home. He's always doing the will of the father, but with a very grudging heart. And he's really upset that the father wants to forgive the prodigal son who has wasted his life, wasted his father's money, his inheritance, uh, lived a sinful life among the pagans, and now he comes comes home, and, and, and he's kind of slinking home with his tail between his legs, but the father embraces him, and he just can't understand it. Why are you being so gracious? Why are you being so forgiving? And of course, uh, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were very much like him in Outlook. The Pharisees believed in a lot of the things that Jesus believed in, but they didn't want to accept uh, God's mercy, God's grace towards others. And so Jesus himself, who knows, maybe Jesus himself has Jonah in the back of his mind when he's telling uh, the story of the prodigal son, but but it's very, very related. And so we, we've got to just apply some of these lessons in our own life today. God sometimes asks us to do things that seem difficult. Uh, he may want us to forgive somebody who has really hurt us or somebody that, that, that incites that same feeling uh, in us that, that Jonah had towards the Ninevites. You know, why don't you just smite this person, God? But what if that person were to walk into your local Catholic parish? How would you treat them? Would you treat them with forgiveness, with love? Or would you want to be like Jonah? The other thing, too, we can look at Jonah's on the boat with the with these pagans. They don't know the true and living God. They're they're looking to their own quote unquote gods, these false gods, to save them from the storm. But really, only the true God can do something about it. Jonah's God, and so sometimes we have to ask ourselves: Are we like Jonah, in that we're carrying the truth around with us? And there's so many people that are crying out in the storms of life, looking for salvation. But we're kind of asleep in the boat, in the you know, kind of in the in the in the darkness of the of the boat. We're not sharing. We're not coming up to the deck and sharing with them the truth that we know. We've got to really check our conscience on this. 
Thanks for joining me today on The Faith Explained. I'm your host, Kale Clark. If you missed an episode, you can always catch them in podcast form on the relevant radio app. I'll join you in the next one, and I'll be with you later today at 5 p.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio for The Kale Clark Show. Until next time, God bless you.